Welcome back to Color Talk. This is Tom Parrish. Up next is a conversation with Warren Eagles at his home out back on his deck in Australia. There's, that's uh, Mr. Qantas going over. That'd be the uh, that'd be the, the 725 Brisbane to Sydney. <laughs> Which I guess you've been on. Oh yeah, I've done a lot of that one. It's like. That's, that's, that's commuting to another state for a day grade. Thanks for being here. Join in on our conversation now with Warren as we talk about the International Colorist Academy, which he co-founded with Kevin Shaw, and the evolution of teaching colorists over the last few years. All right. <laughs> Warren, welcome to Color Talk. Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm well, thank you. It's great hearing your voice. I always enjoy our conversations. Yeah, it's good. I, uh, you know, whenever I do a podcast, I try and, uh, you know, try and get in the real world. So I'm actually, I explained to you where am I? It's uh, seven a.m. in the morning here in Australia. I'm outside. I'm sitting on my deck. So you may hear a few birds and some dogs barking and kids <laughs> carrying on as they go to school. But you know, this is how it is. This is where I am. So. Well, that sounds great. And you said you got yourself up early this morning for a workout at the gym, right? Yeah, I'm trying to, uh, yeah, trying to get a little bit more fitness into my life, I suppose. So uh, it's uh, something new. Uh, get ready because we're coming into summer here, obviously. So try and make a plan. And <laughs> as I like to say, if you do nothing, nothing happens. <laughs> and you're doing something. Well, okay. yeah, trying. <laughs> Well, speaking of doing something, one of the things I've been really impressed with is what you've done with the International Colorist Academy. And I'm curious, since I have taken the course, I've benefited from it greatly, from both your course and Kevin's course over the years, how did all that get started exactly? Kevin and I uh, knew each other from London days when we were both colorists up there. We both actually worked at the, the same post shop, but at different times. He was freelance and I was freelance, so our paths used to cross quite a lot then. And then we were just chatting about some things, and I just shot a, a film for DFT, the guys who made the scanners, the spirit scanners. And uh, I was chatting to him about something, and I think it's about the time where Da Vinci had just closed down their academy. He obviously used to run the Da Vinci Academy in Florida. And we oh, said, well, oh. you know, he'd done that. And I said, well, what, you know, we said, why don't we just pool our resources no one was doing classroom training and we'll see how we go and we'll build a website and we'll just get some material together and we take it from there and that was over five years ago in 2009. You, you, so I'm curious you must have been picking up on a trend that was beginning to happen at that well, point. Well not not particularly at that, that time you know it was before Black Magic Days for Resolve there was Apple Color and I picked up a little bit on that that Apple Color had started to change the colorist industry. I was getting a few inquiries myself from people. So I thought, I thought, well, nobody's doing it. And there's a number of reasons for that. Obviously, that's quite a hard thing to get organized. And some people just don't <laughs> like standing in front of people and talking for a few days. So we thought definitely there was opportunities uh, going forward. And obviously, since Blackmagic's involvement and now Adobe's involvement, there is, uh, there's certainly been more opportunities, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about how things have evolved since then. That was five years ago. I'm real curious uh, how the courses have changed, how students have changed. Where, you know, will 
where, where and where things are going? What, what sort of observations do you have? Well, I'd say the, the first class I ran was just a general color strategies class. And that was in Brisbane. Uh-huh. Basically, that's where I lived. And basically, my thinking was if, if nobody comes on the class, you know, I can basically walk to work. My expenses <laughs> are going to be zero. Because you don't know. You book something, you really right. don't know who's going to show up. Are people going to like That's it true. or anything? You don't actually until you do it. You put it out right. there and you hope people will come. And I, I think right. I had five people, which was really great. One guy came down from Nepal, all the way from Nepal. He was spending wow. US, trying to spend US dollars in Australia because he thought when you went overseas, that's what you did. You use US dollars. He said, well, it worked for me in Russia. <laughs> I said, well, this is Australia. I said, uh, <laughs> to buy a train ticket, you might need Australian dollars. So, and I learned, I must admit, I learned by doing the class and got through the other side. And, oh, okay, PowerPoint there was a bit rough. We could have done that better. But students were great. I got good feedback. Then started yeah. just to build relationships. And then we started to look, where are we getting the inquiries from? And still to this day, it was mainly probably in the US and uh, now it's probably US and India balanced for a lot of inquiries. And from there we looked around and I thought, well, there's a chance to do a resolve class. And I said before, it was pre-Black Magic. So the first resolve class I ever did, 2010 I think it was, up in uh, Singapore, we had 10 students, one machine. So there's one one guy at the front. We'd go through a 10-minute lesson, and the other nine guys would be at the back, either watching or asleep. <laughs> and and that, that's how it was, Tom. You couldn't do it any other way because the machines were expensive. You couldn't get two or three. It was one machine. Wow. So that has changed. Now everyone probably almost brings their own machine at well, some point. So, totally, and that's something maybe we can talk about later is, that, is it bring your own machine class. A BYO class is something we're looking at to keep prices and overheads down uh even that's yeah. changed when we first went into roush media in, in, back into 2010 to run some resolve classes it wasn't really imax then or laptops it was mac pro tower 285 card controller it's quite an expensive thing to set up so it wasn't right. you know it's got even cheaper now if you if you're looking at just running a class on a laptop or an imax so that's that's changed quite a bit in terms of the the people the type of students i'm seeing coming through that's mm-hmm. probably changed mm-hmm. at the beginning it was yeah. definitely more uh colorists or people who had done color grading were keen to get on the class and i'm right. seeing now i'm getting quite a wide demographic of people from still get people who are coloring Typically, people who are coloring maybe in their edit applications, FCP, Premiere, Avid, and right. they're grading. And so far, I think what well, they, they sort of grade and get through the end of the job and go, well, I sort of did it. The client's like, I don't really know what I did. <laughs> and I call it, they're just knobbling, twiddling knobs and sliders, and they sort of get there. But uh-huh. hey, if someone's offering you an extra day's money, to grade a show that you're working on, you know, you'd probably be silly to say, no, go and give it to the guy down the road. But at the same time, right. if you don't have the confidence to stand up and go, yes, I can do that, I will make a good job of your show, that's going to show through. 
And I think that's a lot of what the classes give people. People have a, a fair understanding, can make a reasonably good picture, but they haven't got the confidence. Mm -hmm. And a class gives them the confidence and shows them some slightly better ways about doing things. And that is what I get a lot of feedback. It's just somebody going around, putting a hand on the shoulder, looking at what they're doing, giving them the feedback, is then giving them the confidence to do it. Talking about calibrated monitors, how your rooms should be set up. You know, as I always say, there's a lot more than just the app, the software. You know, I teach obviously quite a lot of Resolve, as you know, but you've been on the class. There's quite a lot of background in there as well. You're not just getting how you use the software. Well, yeah, and, and, and then the other thing, which just comes with a natural, uh, you know, side effect of a live class like that, is you get to speak with other people that are more or less on the same level that you're in. And uh, I remember in particular in the class I was in with with you and Gray Marshall was there. And Gray Marshall, he's like, you know, a monster at special effects and all those kinds of things. And he provided some like outstanding commentary on, you know, how to combine various types of compositing uh, features together. And it was like, wow, you know, and then he's ended up being a good friend. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of benefit to a live class. Yeah. That really yeah totally. I remember the class gray was really good and he was really coming at it from a VFX standpoint of view, which was really useful yeah. for me as well. Uh, then I get DPs in the class. So I'll learn more oh. about different cameras. Um, mm -hmm. on set mm -hmm. people will be giving me tips about files, storage drives to use, how they work on set. Uh, and then probably the newest type of change I'm probably seeing is uh, photographers. Still guys, really? yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was in New York last time, there was two photographers and one, wow. re one retoucher from a serious retouching house in New York. And as I say, uh -huh. uh, these guys can expose, they can shoot beautiful images, they know what they like, uh, they're obviously yeah. getting asked by their clients, do you want to handle the, the moving campaign as well? Could you handle it? And again, it's them having uh -huh. the confidence really to shoot moving images. You know, instead of one frame, they've got to shoot 24. And then the problem I see is that they, they never want to hit play in the grading room. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they just really noodle. They get a beautiful image. <laughs> and I say, you've got to hit play. Come on, you've got to let go. <laughs> Let's, and they go, no, it's going to be noisy. It's going to be grainy. It moves, and I've got to track it. it yeah. yeah. But yeah. they've got a good eye, you know, and you can normally see the people from those backgrounds can make a good picture pretty quickly, consistently. And obviously some of the big directors I've worked with, they've come from a, they've come from a stills background, and I think that they make good colorists. Yeah, I mean, I just did a music video with a young man here recently, and he shot his, he's a still photographer, shot his first piece on a red epic. And then he called me up, found me, and said, Would I grade it? And I said, Great. Well, it was really interesting. We did it all sort of over Skype, God forbid. Uh, but he had, a, he had such an eye. He knew what he was looking for, he knew the terms, he understood the difference between contrast and, you know, saturation and all these kinds of things and so so we kind of did a little mind meld there and i think we ended up with the particular look that he was going for yeah so it was i think that that's definitely a new move uh occasionally get some people that don't necessarily need to do any hands-on but they could be 
more management types and they just want to see maybe they're managing a team uh, mm-hmm. and they want to understand a bit more about the old workflow so they don't they're not hands-on on all of the software some of it they are so they know certainly how to maybe help their team but when terms or problems come up then they can step in as well so i've had some producers I've had some directors, obviously some VFX people. So it's quite wide, but that does make it interesting in a class because the the banter or chit-chat, as I like to call it, between people, and I really encourage that interaction because that's the real mm. great advantage you get as to yeah. sitting watching a DVD or sitting watching someone talking out your laptop because right, you can right. ask questions about kit, You've got real experiences, people have got problems with clients, they've got problems with formats, and you've got the whole other side of it than just learning from me. You're learning from each other, which is which is a plus. And mm-hmm. a networking, of course, as well. You make you make friendships and connections which can be really useful. So, uh, you know, l- looking into the future, I'm curious with the um, tools essentially dropping to nearly zero in price and the, the availability of training now greater, and we'll talk a little bit more about remote training. Do you see an interest or an opportunity or a a requirement or a desire for people to learn just more about color, color awareness, inspiration around color? Yeah, I think think definitely as more and more people are picking up the tools, whether it's, you know, speed grade, resolve, they're just grading in, you know, images in Photoshop, they're then looking for a little bit more. So I'm probably rounding my classes a little bit more to be more general. I tendedly run them on Resolve because it's what most people have, but you could basically run it on any software and just talk more general, like you said, general things about color correction, uh, maybe touching on your differences of your, you know, ProRes, uh, LT grading H264 as opposed to uh, 444 difference of raw files grading raw people are looking certainly for more of that uh, background history as well and things like that they're mm. looking into point. points terms especially when maybe they're having to put themselves in the colorist chair with experienced directors and producers, which we all have to do at some stage. And that's a, that's a nerve wracking thing. You're going in it there is. with someone who you know has done quite some good stuff. So Kevin has a new class that he's just, just run, I think run in London called Advanced uh, Color Design, where he's taken his oh. traditional colorist strategies a little bit further. And going a little bit more in depth about why we see certain colors and why we may think we use a certain look or mood for a scene. Uh, so, yeah, he's uh, developed that, and I think he'll be rolling that out more in other territories, certainly through 2015. Oh, good. That's uh, one I think I'd be really interested in trying to find a way to get into one of those classes. That's quite fascinating. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting for us, we, we obviously only have limited time because we all have grading commitments at different stages. So we, right. but certainly we want to we teach things that interest ourselves. So changing things up a little bit and doing different things challenges us as sort of colorists and trainers, I suppose, in a way. So it keeps it interesting. All right. Well, let's crystal ball the future here, which we sort of 
start of moving into already. Where do you see things going? Are you considering remote training? I've been asked about this a number of times, and I do feel that obviously the greatest way to learn is in a classroom, is on one-on-one, because you can interact with someone so well. The same way that remote grading is very hard to work with a person that maybe you don't know. As soon as you know that client, you know that director, DP, it's certainly easier. The more you know them, you interact with them, you know exactly, you're on the same wavelength, and that's how you build relationships with a DPO director. Mm-hmm. So training certainly could work because currently I have obviously online training uh, through FX PhD, which I've actually been doing since 2007. That, right. that ticks the box of people who want 10 lessons straight away. Classroom training obviously is what it is we've talked about, but a remote sort of mentoring where somebody gets, say, five one-hour sessions where we can review material, talk on Skype, generally chat about their work and things mm-hmm. that I want to offer. For what Certainly, I think there's some mileage in that, Tom. Do you think there is? Yeah, I do. I have periodically, uh, over the last uh, year or so, had people call locally um, wanting anywhere, you know, w- wanting training, basically. Uh, you, you know, usually there's quick stuff anywhere from one to a few hours kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm running into more and more people who have the tool, uh, hobbyists, you know, yeah. home, home yeah. video hobbyists, uh, still photographers, DPs who are using it. And largely, most of them kind of hit a wall pretty quickly because, uh, you know, Resolve is set up for a particular kind of use. It is a Swiss Army knife in that you can do a lot with it, but, you know, you need you need some training. So they're not really looking to become colorists, but they're looking to use the tool more, and they would love some incremental training. And um, so, yeah. Well, okay. Warren, I was going to ask you about Resolve 11 here, but I figure that might be a little overkill. There's a lot already published on Resolve 11, and um, one can check out your course on that. But what about 11.1? Anything useful to mention there? Well, you mean 12's not out already yet, Tom? <laughs> I've just, I've just We're finished. We're looking forward to it. Mate, I've just finished the online training for 11. I'm going to make new ones. <laughs> Never-ending story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I started on six or something like that when I started it. Uh, yeah, eleven one. I was at IBC. I was actually demonstrating up there for AMD, the guys who make yeah. the really fast graphics cards. Oh, cool! Uh, so that was a case of throwing, you know, five six K raw material on a timeline, then throwing mm. fifteen nodes on it, and it still runs real time. So for me, that was a great show to work on because you know, <laughs> just doing funky stuff and it's all real time. It was really great. Uh, so I saw up there. 11.1, they've got a new feature where you used to be able to trim clips and it just used to be just red clips is the only thing you could trim. So the yeah. biggest problem you have, and I have this as well, I'm doing a short film, client brings the drive, I can form off their drive, it's all fantastic, but there's no performance, uh, you know, five frames a second because it's coming off a, you know, right. a portable drive. And I say to them, can you tell me what shots I need to copy? And they say, well, I actually don't know. I just brought you the whole film. Here's two terabytes. And I'm thinking, no. 
Just you know, give me what I need. Just give me what I need. I, I don't want to be sitting here looking at you while we copy all this stuff. I haven't got enough jokes to fill that time. You know. <laughs> so, so there's this new feature where you can conform and then you can trim, which I believe is most formats. Certainly you can do red now and you can do uh, ProRes, you can do MXF. I uh, think DPX as well. So you, with handles, so you just trim the bits you want and pull them out and put them onto your fast storage. Now it's not only a case of just pulling the clips, the actual part that you want or just the, the whole clip that you want because now with digital uh, cinematography, there is a tendency to let the camera run. As you well know, I don't have to tell the editors this. So the oh, yeah. camera will just run. They're not putting slates as much. So you could have a five minute take where they're only using a five minute part of that take. Yeah. So the ability That's... just to extract that five seconds plus yeah. the 24 frame handles is really great. So that was a really neat feature. See, I would use that. I would use that a lot. That's going to be well, useful for me. Let, then let's just kind of walk through the workflow on that. So client brings you a drive, yeah. typical USB 3 drive. You plug it in. Yep. You, uh, you 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 import uh, the XML and yep. um, and you conform the uh, files that are on that USB drive. Correct. And then uh, when you're in the editor, is it where is there, is there something uh, drop down menu when you, or when something? you're on the uh, you're in the edit page, you edit page. lasso the whole timeline. Oh, and then okay. you right click, and it's something called uh, trim files or trim oh. material or something. Uh, oh. And then it will bring up another little dialog box, and it will say to you, where do you want to put it? Uh, where do you want to add your handles? This is 11.1. So yeah. really nice. And then it takes copies it over. It will trim R3Ds as well. So obviously you've got five-minute R3D. You want to take the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that I like. The other thing's getting a fair bit of traction is obviously the uh, the color match for the chart. Yeah. So the chart matches. Certainly that does, if, if there's one thing that brings some oohs and ahs out of a demo or class, it's probably yeah. that feature. Because people yeah. see, wow, that's, you know, almost easy. The one thing yeah. I do see is a slight problem there with people who are less experienced. If they use this, this color match feature and they use it and it doesn't look quite right there's a tendency for them to not change it because mm -hmm. they've used the right chart they've done the right thing is it right or is it wrong well that's the whole thing of color correction isn't it it's all pretty subjective right. um and i would say yes certainly use it it gets you in a very good place to start with but then you obviously need to know when to adjust slightly. If you're using the chart in mixed lighting conditions, it can get quite exactly. confused. Exactly. Exactly oh, yeah. is a problem. You know, uh, I had a conversation with Gray about this, and he did some right. tests, didn't he, recently? And so there's ways to use it. It's a great tool. It's all adding to that ease of people feeling confident to get images in, shoot log images, which we all know is an advantage for the colorist and the VFX person, but not necessarily an advantage for editorial because, you know, most people in editorial, if you're editing or you're a producer in the in the suite, you want to be looking at good images. If you're getting your, uh, downloading your images from the set, you're showing the client, you want things to look normal or polished slightly. So I think this, certainly this feature is going to, uh, is going to help that. Yeah.
Yeah, you know, I'm reminded of many times I've heard Juan Salvo uh, um, punch in on Twitter and various other conversations where he said, you know, having a sense of confidence in what you're doing, especially with the client, is really, really important. So that's something you emphasize quite a bit through this conversation. That's good. And, Tom, you don't get that in five minutes. You don't get that in a three-day class. That is experience, the same as shooting, the same as editing. It's a number of years before you have the confidence to step up and say something's right or offer up a look or give a a really strong argument and back up why this will help somebody's film. And that's how you build relationships. When somebody comes into one of your sessions and you maybe talk them into something slightly different than what they hadn't initially thought of, they Mm. will leave that session thinking, oh, I've got a really cool music video there and I didn't think (laughs) it could look that way. When that happens, that's when they might come back to you or hopefully they'll come back and go, yeah, yeah, Warren, I like what he did there. I'll use him again. Oh, great turning point to be aware of. That's that's really and good. It's all, you know, certainly as it's much of, very much a freelance world now, as you know, we're very dependent on our clients and building those relationships. Yeah. We're not all in these steady jobs now where we get paid <laughs> and get a nice three weeks off a year holiday with, uh, you know, it's not, it doesn't really work like that anymore. Yeah, the paycheck just automatically shows up every two weeks in the bank account. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I wish. Yeah, no, so do I. So do I. I was in that That's... for a number of years, and oh, I was too. Certainly down here in Australia, there is not many staff colorists left here now. <laughs> really? You no, know, it's very much gone freelance. Even established post house don't have staff people. They all give yeah. a roster up. Here's the freelancers. Here's their CVs and what they do. This is what they will cost you. You take right. your pick, and we'll we'll get them in. <laughs> like cattle. All right. Well, well hopefully, <laughs> it's a bit like <laughs> not really, but but I mean you. Do, I mean I. You know I came in for now almost five years ago, but there are guys here locally who've been coloring for eight and ten years here in Austin, and they're they're very good at what they do. And but I can imagine you know you wake up one day and suddenly there's just literally dozens of people around who have websites that are saying they do color work and it's the times have changed yeah yeah i think it's because one of the reasons is it's quite a subjective thing isn't it tom so it is you could if i can put it you can probably get away with a bit more coloring Mm -hmm. and if you want to chance it and say yeah i'm a colorist and maybe you wing it a bit but you probably can yeah yeah whereas you know certainly with shooting this could be a bit more difficult and editing VFX. Certainly there's more of a definite right and wrong in those right. crafts than coloring. Cause some producers won't see that it's slightly off. Correct. And they'll, they'll lock correct. it down and go, it looks great. But if you go into it and I see this because I go in sometimes and, and rescue jobs because the director will look at it and go, Oh, there's something wrong with it. I'm not quite sure what it is. And maybe it needs a re-edit or a, it's cut wrong. It's maybe not that. It's normally that the grades don't match that well, so it's jarring and the director's not liking it. When you go and you rebalance it, they go, oh, that's great. It doesn't need a re-edit. So that's something we're going to put up. It's, no, we can't stop people selling themselves out as colorists, but all I say is, you know, take the time, and if you are, you know, you're billing for your work, then have a sort of responsibility that you... You know what you're doing, grab some training, uh, 
know, and just try and keep improving yourself every day by reading, looking at blogs, um, getting yourself both up to speed artistically and technically. Artistically, yeah. yeah. Which is both are as important as each other. And that way you're just improving your knowledge and that way you will gain the experience and you'll find you'll be a time where you definitely can confidently go out and sell yourself as a colorist. And when you do, make sure you, you know, you're, you're charging up to speed with your rates. Don't try and undersell and undercut because it's right. like any other craft, you know, it's a skill. It's taken you a, a number of years to get where you are and, you know, go out at the right rate and have confidence in what you're doing. Right on. Well, Warren Eagles, thank you very much for being on Color Talk. I appreciate you both as being a mentor and a teacher and a remote friend. And so thank you very much for your time. Oh, that's great, Tom. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. And you're doing a great job of these podcasts. They're really enjoyable. Oh, great. I appreciate that. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy.